everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Dr. Mark Goldstein, who is the founding member of the Newsweek Expert Forum, and he is a former FBI and police hostage negotiation trainer. He is the author of multiple books, including the bestseller, Just Listen, which has been translated into 28 languages. His newest book is entitled Trauma to Triumph, a roadmap for leading through disruption and thriving on the other side. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. Well, thank you for having me. I, I'm also, I just be, was selected as one of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 coaches. So that's a wonderful community. And I look forward to getting to know the amazing people in that community. Well, if you're going to permit me, I'm going to go all the way back to your schooling to kick us off. Your degree, I read, was in zoology. You're now a leading expert on leadership and communication and many other things that we're going to talk about on the show today. Can you talk me through the roller coaster ride, though, from zoology to the place you are now? Uh, that's quite a roller coaster, Matt. Uh, okay, so zoology, I, I was interested in biology, zoology, animals and stuff, but that's, that's a pre-med major. So uh, it was like a feeder major to go to medical school. And then I went to medical school and I trained there. And then after medical school, I trained in psychiatry at, at UCLA. But uh, part of what happened uh, to set me on my journey and I've accomplished a lot, but I think my greatest personal accomplishment is I dropped out of medical school twice and finished. Hmm. And I don't know anyone who did that. And I think what I had was untreated depression. And the second time I dropped out, the school wanted to kick me out because they were losing matching funds. And I was at a low point and the Dean of Students who cares about students more than funds he literally reached out, stepped in, and I think he saved my life. He saw something in me that I didn't see, and he went to bat for me. He stood up against the entire medical school and said, there's something about this kid, and we're giving him a second chance. So there was something about feeling really low, and low could have led to something disastrous. And when someone reaches in, grabs you by the nape of the neck, and says, the world needs you when you're going through a period where you feel pretty useless. And then they go to bat for you at their own risk. He was a PhD. He stood up to the heads of these hospitals and said, no, we're going to keep this one. Hmm. And so it, it flipped the switch inside me. And on that second year off, I went and I worked at a place called the Menninger Foundation. Back then it was in Topeka. Now it's, I think, uh, all over the place. I think the main place is uh, Houston. But what happened is I somehow discovered this knack to getting through to people. Uh, probably I was just paying forward what the Dean of Students did to me. And so I uh, then finished medical school, went to UCLA, trained in psychiatry. And then I had a mentor at UCLA who was probably the one of the top three thought leaders in the area of suicide prevention, a guy named Ed Schneidman. And, and he just started referring me suicidal patients. And after my training, here was the discovery I had. And it was my good fortune that just as I was finishing training, I was supposed to go into a fellowship and the fellowship uh, fell apart. 
So I said, well, I shrugged my shoulders. We'll go out there, see if anybody comes to see me. And Ed started referring me these still suicidal inpatients that needed to be discharged, but they weren't acutely suicidal. And here, my good fortune is because I didn't work for an institution, even though I followed a protocol from my training, I didn't have to worry about uh, making sure that I dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. And I started to have this experience, Matt, where when I was with people, I would notice that they would be screaming out at me through their eyes. And what they would be screaming is you're checking boxes and I'm running out of time. And I could feel that checking the boxes was a way to protect myself, uh, but I couldn't take the scream away from their eyes. In fact, there's a brand new blog up uh, at Thrive Global I wrote called The Antidote to the Scream, the, the famous painting from Edvard Munch. Uh, and, uh, and so what I did is I put the checking boxes away and I learned to listen into people's eyes. Hence the book, Just Listen. And what I discovered is that people who are suicidal, who are stuck, and this may apply also in your businesses. There are some people who are just stuck. You see it in their eyes and you give them suggestions, but they are locked and they're not being resistant. They can't move. So, you know, in business, you know, you're not a therapist. You might give them a few chances, recommend some things, but if it doesn't work, you know, you they have a job to do. You probably have to let them go. Uh, but what I teach around the world now is how do you go inside to people and unlock them with something that I call surgical empathy? So I don't know how your listeners will relate to this, but uh, some people find it interesting. Uh, if you're not suicidal, you won't relate to what I'm about to say, but if you've been suicidal, you will. Death is compassionate to pain that won't go away. So death feels your pain if you're suicidal and you can't get away from it. And it basically says, I'll take your pain away. And suicidal people don't want to kill themselves. They just want the pain to go away. And what I discovered in my book, Just Listen, which has done well around the world, is about how do you cause other people to feel felt? Not just understood. Because when people feel felt and they've been feeling all alone, and they suddenly feel unalone and they feel felt and you're not throwing things at them that they can't access because they're too locked. They lean towards feeling felt and they start to cry with relief. And the crying is like draining a hopelessness abscess. And they'll detach from death that feels their pain to surgical empathy that feels their pain. And if you stay with them, you can walk them out into life. One thing that's fascinating to me about your entire origin story and specifically the part that you talked about there is the listening component. And you were featured on a Harvard Business Review IdeaCast episode that became one of their highest rated episodes ever, which was entitled Become a Better Listener. 
You've talked a little bit about it in your first answer, but how should we as leaders think about becoming a better listener? Obviously, we might not have the same sort of experience that you had in terms of the people that you were listening to, but we all strive to be better listeners. Are there other tangible skills that we can add to our repertoire to make us better listeners? So here's where I give you some tactics. And if I was a betting person, here's where people are going to start taking notes. There's something called the HUVA technique, H-U-V-A. We talk about it in our latest book, uh, uh, Trauma to Triumph. And if you practice HUVA once a day with a conversation that you want to go well uh, for a week, it will change your relationships forever. So I know you're listening with bated breath. What is it, Mark? What is the HUVA technique already? So. HUVA stands for heard out, understood, valued, and A is added value. So here's your intention. You want to have an effective conversation. That's your intention. At the end of the conversation, you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 from their point of view. How much did they feel heard out? Or did you interrupt them? Did you change the subject? Did, did, were you checking boxes and not listening to them? How much do they feel heard up? How much do they, you is, how much do they feel understood? You demonstrate that by asking them to say more about something. And when I coach people for my hostage negotiation training, try to be what my mentor Warren Bennis used to suggest, be a first class noticer. So when someone says words like amazing, awful, terrific, or they raise the inflection of their voice, Whenever they do that and they finish, you say, say more about the awful. Say more about the amazing. Or uh, help me to under, understand uh, what makes something so amazing or so awful. So you show understanding by, by going deeper. A v is on a scale of one to 10, they feel valued. Where... Uh, what happens is you actually let go of your agenda and you take in something uh, that's really valuable to you. When I do, uh, I do a lot of these interviews and a lot of people love this Hoover technique because they say, I'm awful at it. I'm, I, I'm not a good Hoover person. Well, don't beat up on yourself. I just have the intention to improve. Uh, causing the other person to feel that you've heard them out, understood them, valued them, and added value. And then the adding value is, you know, you let go of trying to push them, impress them, but you see things from their the value and you add to it. So I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. Wake up's one word. I get eight requests a week to be on it. I don't even know what the downloads are. What I do is uh, people open up to me and I introduce my guests to each other. I say, listen to each other's podcast. You're gonna like each other. You're gonna trust each other. There's, there's synergy there and I, and I make introductions. That's all I do with my podcast. It's, it's not to sell anything. Uh, and when people come on, I say, if you're selling something, uh, it's not going to go well. My listeners are looking for people that can have, uh, and here, okay, here's something else about you want to be a, a, a good leader. I developed something called design thinking leadership. 
What is design thinking? The first step and the most important step is to empathize with the people you're serving, selling, uh, who are investing in you. So design thinking leadership me means your people want to feel trust, confidence, uh, respect, safety, uh, admiration. They'd like to like you and they want to feel inspired by you. And you may think, oh, that's too woo-woo. Really? Well, how effective a leader will you be is if instead of trusting you, they distrust you. Instead of having confidence in you, they doubt you. Instead of feeling respect, they don't respect you. Instead of feeling safe, they feel unsafe. Instead of feeling uh, admired, they, they're embarrassed for you and they don't like you and they're not inspired by you. And so most people say, point taken. And then here are the observable manifest behaviors. So when I do executive coaching, I send people to my design thinking leadership stuff. And I say, I'm only interested in you wanting to be this kind of leader. Um, and because I, I'm somewhat older and I feel the world doesn't have enough great leaders. And I think the great leaders uh, uh, get, cause people to feel trust, confidence, respect, safety, admiration, liking, and inspiration. And here, here are some of the behaviors that I tell to leaders in your next meeting, in your next conversation. Uh, uh, afterwards, rate yourself on these qualities. Uh, how unflappable were you? Unflappable means you were just cool and calm, but second is how present were you? You have to be present, you can't be a robot. Also, in situations, did you take charge without being controlling? Because people feel safe when someone takes charge. Uh, also, in terms of the other qualities, did you come off as knowledgeable or did you shoot from the hip? And did you come off as wise? Wise means you focused on what was important and you were able to uh, uh, put the less important things to the side. Uh, and then also, uh, how much did you, uh, were you enjoyable? Did you have a sense of humor? Were you, did you take yourself too seriously? And also, were you gracious and humble? Hmm. And so when I coach people, uh, I say, look, uh, and you can ask your stakeholders, you know, I want to grow into this kind of person. Uh, can I check it with you and tell me where I can improve? So uh, does that make any sense to you, Matt? It does. And one, it leads me into the question that we probably get most frequently from our audience. And it's, what would our guests tell their younger self? So you've had a fascinating career from zoology all the way to where you are today. If you were giving advice to your younger self on your approach as a leader, as the years pass by and you grew into that role, what advice would you give to your younger self? Well, here's a few little tips. <laughs> One is, when people say no to you, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do something, and it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It just means they won't help you. So I would have said that uh, to my younger self. Now, that doesn't mean you should be a rebel you know, without a cause or a rebel without a clue. Something else uh, that has really probably been the best tip that's kept me going forward against adversity so when I was a 
practicing psychiatrist and early in my training, we'd sometimes be in the emergency room. And when someone was self-destructive or destructive to others, we'd put them on a 72-hour hold, which means we could put them in a place where they wouldn't act on the destructive impulses. And so one of the things that I do and I recommend to all the people I work with is I say, whenever you run into adversity or something upsets you, put yourself on a 72-hour hold, which means for 72 hours, do not do anything to make it worse. Because when I speak to audiences, uh, also, if you teach learning and development, uh, I'm going to give you some nuggets you can use with them that'll be, I think, helpful. When I speak to audiences, I will say, how many of you have had breakthroughs in your life? Uh, the majority of the audience raised their hand. And then I say, how many of you had breakdowns preceding the breakthrough? And the breakdowns uh, were not pretty. They were not invited. Some of them you didn't know how you were going to get past but you did. And still a majority of people raised their hands. And I said, so here's the deal. When we have a breakdown, we're often tempted to do something that makes it worse. We get angry. Uh, we go binge. We do something just to, but it makes it worse. And if you do something that makes it worse, you could miss the breakthrough because you might have to apologize to someone for what you did. Well, you might have to deal with your own inner embarrassment. Oh, I went off the wagon. Jeez, am I ever going to get this straight? So if you can put yourself on a 72-hour hold, uh, I think that, uh, that can really help. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Our final two questions that I get to ask all of our guests are rapid fire in nature. And question number one is this. If you could describe your leadership style in just one word, what would that word be? I would say, uh, I would say I'm, I'm a, I try to be a first class noticer. Noticing is different than looking, watching and seeing. When you notice, you connect to it. Hmm. So whoever I'm with, wherever I'm with, I try to be a first class noticer. And what's interesting, and I do it without judgment, and what happens is when people feel truly noticed, they feel truly seen. And when they feel truly noticed, seen, and hoovered and valued, they just come towards you. Hmm. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Um, well, this... <laughs> I was an Oprah Winfrey a few year, uh, years ago. And, uh, and in terms of relationships, this may not be about this. Well, it, it, could, it could also be about business relationships. Uh, but advice I once received was be yourself as soon as you can in any relationship and get the other person to be themselves as soon as they can because when you're in a relationship, why would you want to go forward with someone who doesn't like you for you? Well, that is great advice to close us out. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, markgoulston.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. I have a, a podcast called My Wake Up Call. Wake Up is one word. 
and it's on all your platforms. I think we're up to episode 180. We've had Larry King on, Doug Conant, Tom Steyer, who ran for president, uh, Esther Wojcik, a whole bunch of great people. Uh, I also have a LinkedIn live show called No Strings Attached, where my guests and I just drop nuggets that you can use today, and there's no strings attached. You don't, you don't have to pay us. You can take them. You can take them as your own, build courses, whatever you want to do with it. And recently, I had Marshall Goldsmith on, and then I had uh, Ivan Meisner. He's the founder of BNI, and there'll be many more joining us. Well, great. Thank you again for all of the wonderful insight. And thanks to all of our amazing listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. Taking an extra minute to rate and review our show really helps out. And of course, we truly appreciate it when you share our show with somebody from your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer, and you can find our show on Instagram by searching for Learn to Lead Podcast. Our podcast is produced by Ability, which you can find by searching for Ability Leadership Development. And make sure you also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini-MBA, which is now entering its third year. This mini-MBA is a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. We now have a robust alumni network, and you can find more information at invitedmba.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.